Well, there's a lot of talk these days about distracted driving. It's, it's a real thing. To be sure, we've all had those, those experiences. We've seen it. Maybe we've taken part in it ourselves, but we drive up next to someone who's pulling down the road, and you look over, and there's this woman who's putting on her lipstick, right, or her eyeliner. And I look over, and I think, that's really impressive. <laughs> I would have poked my eye out by now with what she's doing there. Or a little less often, we look over, and we see someone playing the saxophone. I mean, what is up with that? Or maybe reading. Maybe you've seen that while you've... Now, I'm going to cut this guy some slack because that might be a Bible, and he's going to meet Jesus pretty soon anyway, so we should probably let him, probably let him go down there. Eating is another one of those things that can really distract you when you drive, and you can see that here in this picture, but I think this picture is just made up. It looks, it looks fake to me because who eats at Burger King anymore, Right? <laughs> Well, texting, of course, and driving is kind of the hot button today. It's the one that you hear about all the time, and that's especially dangerous on a motorcycle, I would think. But uh, it's, it's the youth who oftentimes get the bad rap for being the ones who are texting while they're driving. But I don't think that's really fair because it starts a lot younger, a lot younger than that. Well, today we're going to be thinking about distracted driving as we continue on in our road trip sermon series. And distracted driving is really just when you see a a couple of competing priorities lining up together where somebody's driving and they want to carry out the priority of that. They don't want to pull over, but they still want to text. So there's another priority that's competing or between driving and, and reading or driving and eating or driving and trying to fish out that French fry that dropped between the seat and the center console right? You've been there. You know exactly what I am talking about. Well, it works the same way in the road trip of life. There are things that distract us from what it is that we otherwise ought to be going toward, and those things are competing priorities. And when those arise in our life, we need to ask ourselves, what are we going to do about that circumstance? How are we going to handle ourselves? What are you going to do when the situation comes up where you're offered a new job that you can go and, and take on and it earns a good bit more, which you think is a good thing, but it's going to require you to relocate somewhere else, which you think is a bad thing, but it'll take you away from family, which you might think is a good thing. And so are there principles or the things that you can take and apply into those situations so that you can make a wise choice when it comes up? Are you going to move in with your boyfriend who is pressuring you to do so? Are you going to marry your girlfriend who is asking for a ring? Is there a way that you can, something you can take and apply so that you can make wise choices in those circumstances when they come up? What are you going to do? Or what about your unwed daughter who comes to you and, and is asking your advice over whether she should keep the baby or she should give up the baby? What should she do? Or what if the daughter won't come to you at all? for advice, really isn't speaking to you. What should you do? How should you handle yourself? Is there any principle that we can take and apply that'll help us to know the direction that we ought to go in these circumstances of life that are very real? Are you gonna remodel the kitchen or are you gonna save that money? Are you going to start a new ministry, launch one? Are you gonna tithe? Are you going to volunteer for ministry? Are you gonna go back to work after the kids are born? Or are you gonna stay at home? 
with the kids? Is there a way, is there something that we can take and apply to the circumstances of life that inevitably come up, these competing priorities, so that we might know the direction that we can go? Well, thankfully, the circumstance happens, or it it is true, that there are principles that we can take and apply. And that's what I want to do today. I just want to uh, drill into a few of these principles that I believe are going to help us in the circumstances that we face in most every situation that we encounter. Now, as we jump into this, I think before we actually get into the principles, it would be appropriate for us to consider the fact and identify the fact that there are different categories of competing priorities. Now, you would think that typically if there's something that's competing, that both of those items that are competing one against the other, that it would be that they are very equal in terms of their value and in terms of the quality of each of those things. Should I volunteer for the children's ministry or the youth ministry? They're both great options. Should I be self-employed or should I work for an employer? They're both good options. Should I move to Darlington or Wampum? I mean, they're both good, good options, good choices that are out in front of us. And making choices between things that are pretty much the same in quality and value can definitely create some competing priorities. But there are also competing priorities that rise up in our lives when those circumstances are not of equal value. They are not of equal quality. It is possible that you will struggle with the decision on whether or not to do something that is good or to do the alternative, which is actually bad, which is actually wrong. What if you, have you ever come up against a circumstance where somebody made a financial error in your favor? And it's like, I should probably make that right. But you wrestle with whether or not to do it. Or maybe you are in a relationship and you know that relationship is really not a healthy one and really not taking you the direction that you ought to go, but you still wrestle with whether or not to stay in the relationship or get out of it. Or maybe you're in sin and and you know that you should confess that sin and go away from it, but there's just something that's kind of keeping you there. It's become a competing priority for you. See, those are all areas of life where the quality and value of the items on either side of the scale are not equal, but still they're competing for our attention, and they're competing for our action in those directions. It works the same way on the other end of the spectrum, where it's not good versus bad, but it's good versus something that's better, and we feel very justified in going forward with the good because we kind of enjoy what it is, and everybody's looking at us and patting us on the back anyway for doing something that's good when we know inside that there's really something else, something better that we ought to be pursuing, and we can get competing priorities going on in our lives, even against things that are not of equal value and of equal worth. You would think that if you have choices where one option is good and one is bad or one is good and one is better, that it would be very easy to make those decisions, but it's not always that easy. And the reason is because we've got this thing inside of us, we've got this sort of switch that we can flip and we can overrule what it is that otherwise would be a good choice for us to make. And it leads us to the place where we're actually willing and able to ignore what is right, what is better because we just simply have some other sort of desire that is going on inside of us. And we need to acknowledge that that is the case. In that financial situation, you know that you ought to make it right, but you just don't want to make it right. After all, it's their own fault that they made the, and if they bring it up to me, I'll go ahead and and say, yeah, you're right, and we'll go ahead and make it right. But if they don't bring it up to me, it's their own fault. And we flip the switch. 
and we override what we know that we should do because there's some benefit that has made it a competing priority where it shouldn't have been competing in the first place. Or in the situation with the relationship that you know that is unhealthy and that you really ought to get out of, the, the fear of being alone, the, the fear of insecurity, those things, they, they rise up in us. And it's like, well, if I don't stick in this relationship, I might not get another one. So a bad one is better than none at all. And so we flip the switch. And we override what deep in our heart we already know is the right thing to do, but we've made it a competing priority when it doesn't need to be in the first place. Well, guess what? You're not the first person to deal with these sorts of issues. The fact of the matter is, there's a guy by the name of the Apostle Paul who actually struggled with some of this himself. He's a guy who wrote like half of the New Testament. Greatest missionary that ever lived. The greatest church planner that ever lived. Maybe the greatest Christian of all time. He's the one who said this. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Anybody say amen to that? I mean, it's not a proud amen that we say, but it's a real one, right? Because that's life where we oftentimes live it. That's life where I live it. That's the battle that we're in and it's important that we would understand that and admit it because there are times when the choices that we're facing aren't really all that perplexing at all if we would just be honest about the origin of what it is that is motivating us to go in one direction versus another direction. If we'll just be honest. So that's the place to start. It's always the place to start. If you're in a relationship that you know that you should get out of, then get out! If you're in sin that you know that you ought to run from, then run from it. So, with that as a foundation, there are some principles that we can take and apply to the circumstances that come up in our lives where competing priorities result from those two things or sometimes even more than two things that come crashing in. And how do we go forward? Well, some principles. And you have an outline in your bulletin. I invite you to go ahead and look there. It also has the verses that we're going to be looking at if you want to try to get ahead and see those in your own Scriptures. or also put them up on the screen also. But the first of those priorities is that competing priorities require you to act on hard choices. Now, I'm not saying there that competing priorities require you to make hard choices. Yes, that also is true, but that's not new to any of us. What we are saying here is that competing priorities require us to act on hard choices. That can be more difficult because hard choices oftentimes stop us in our tracks. In fact, sometimes we're stopped for so long that the option even to make the choice goes away. We've waited around so long, we've wrung our hands about the decision for so long that it isn't even an option anymore. Now that doesn't mean that now you have gone back to the best of all worlds before you ever had to make the choice in the first place. Because along with the choice going away, so did an opportunity. And so often the fact of the matter is that God brings those opportunities into our lives to challenge us to step out in faith, to be willing to make change, and that's why this is oftentimes so difficult is because change can be so hard. And being willing to step out of our comfort zone, step beyond the status quo where we have been living. But I believe the Scriptures require us to take a hard look at what is it that the opportunity is that has come into our path and be willing to act on that to move ourselves forward as we make the evaluation. There are a couple of guys in the scriptures who were facing that same sort of 
situation, had some decisions to make. Jesus, of course, was about 30 years old when he started his ministry, and he, he started one of the first things that he did is he called the 12 disciples to come and serve alongside of him to be a part of his inner circle. And the first two that he called were Peter and Andrew. They were brothers, and they left what they were doing and went and followed Jesus. Well, not long after that, this is how the story goes on. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, another set of brothers, in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Sounds pretty matter-of-fact, doesn't it? Jesus called and they went. But I don't think it's quite as simple as that. Because if you look at verse 20, it says that they had to leave their father, and we know from other places in the Gospels that this family is, is reasonably close and that this would have been a difficult decision for these sons to make if they're going to just leave dad and go off with Jesus. Beyond that, you also see that there are a number of hired men that Father Zebedee has in his employment, which means he's probably a pretty wealthy man, which means that James and John would have been in line to take over the business and the wealth that would have come along with that for themselves. Leaving dad in the business was a hard choice to be sure, but putting off the decision would have been tantamount to turning it down and passing up the opportunity to go and live with Jesus and to experience what all of that would be like. Could you imagine how their lives would have been different if they had said no or if they had just delayed to the point where the opportunity passed them by? Jesus went on, on and found other disciples and they are now just ruining the fact for the rest of their lives that they didn't jump in when they had the opportunity, that they didn't act. This is a difficult choice. These are competing priorities that are going on for them. What is it they're going to choose? Because they didn't know all about Jesus yet at this point. They hadn't seen all the miracles. This is certainly long before the death and resurrection. It's a difficult choice that they had to make. And indecisiveness on their part, if they just stood around wringing their hands, would have answered the question for them. And so what we need to ask ourselves is what are the circumstances going on in our lives that have us wringing our hands? Saying, I'm not sure which way I should go. Should I do this? Should I do that? Should I buy this place? Should I buy that place? Should I move to here? Should I move to there? Should I stay here? Should I go on? These things have us wringing our hands. And when there are circumstances like these disciples have to follow after Jesus, we need to allow that to rise in our minds and our hearts as a priority for which it could very well be that he is calling us. We need to do that sort of Evaluation. This is a big decision for James and John, but it seems to me that when the opportunity ever arises to walk more closely with Jesus, that that's a really weighty reason to go that direction. Even if it takes you out of your comfort zone, which it does for James and John. They'd known fishing all their lives. They'd known their dad. They loved their dad. They're hanging in there. They're making money. To leave, they don't know what's going to happen. They're not going to some new job. They're going to walk around with Jesus. Where's their money going to come from? How are they going to handle this is This is a difficult choice for them to make. Now keep in mind that the opposite of taking action is staying put right where you are. But if one option is to stay where you are, then something has happened to change the status quo that has brought the other into your life, into your realm of understanding. And because of the fact that the status quo has been changed, it forces us, it requires us to evaluate with great consideration 
what it is that new opportunity is. And if it takes us closer to God, if it leads us in a direction that walks us more near to who He is and what it is that He has called us to do, to live out the life that He has called us to live, then maybe the decision isn't as hard as we made it out to be. Maybe it's right there in front of us, ready to be executed. It was right about this time, 20 years ago, that Carolyn and I were in the throes of making the decision on whether or not to pursue a position that was made available to us in Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania, a place that we had never been, a place that we had to look up on the map after we had talked to somebody about, that, about the position here. It would have been a lot easier to stay where we were. It was closer to Carolyn's family. It was closer to my family. It was still a great job and a great church. But God had been speaking to us. God had been opening up a door because we received this call from these people that we did not know in this place that we had never been. And the more that we explored and the more that we prayed, the more that it was obvious that God was in it. And the more that even though the choices were difficult to know exactly which way to go, eventually it became so very plain. And God led and we became very excited to come to the land of pierogies and primantes and yinzers and all the rest. And we're thrilled to be here. And God has blessed. We need to be willing to act on even what can be hard choices as we sort of start to weigh things against one another and ask where God would be leading, and not be afraid to go when He calls. That's the first of the principles. There's another one as well, and that is that competing priorities should favor the eternal over the temporal. Should favor the eternal over the temporal. We all know what it's like to just navigate our way through the temporal, through the the natural course of life. There are kids to raise, there are bills to pay, there are jobs to go and work, and on and on it goes. And we should do that. Those should be priorities for us to live out. We don't want to shirk our responsibilities. Definitely not. You don't want to ignore those. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't evaluate your responsibilities. And ask yourself, are my responsibilities the one that I really should, the ones I should really have? Are there any changes that I ought to be making to where I am? See, because what I've discovered is there are no shortage of people. There's no shortage of people who would be happy to add to your plate. Have you experienced that? No shortage of people who are happy to add to your plate. They've got some priority and they come and try to convince you that you're the best one to carry that forward and and you take it on. That might be a friend who does that. It might be a family member who does that in your life. It's possible that would be a boss who does that in your life. It might be just something you saw as an ad on television that you decided, I need that in my life. And so we fill up our lives, and there we are. Well, I think that it's appropriate for us to have times when we do a life audit. When we step back and we ask ourselves, of the things that are present in my life, of the things that I have taken on, should they all be there? And maybe at one time the answer to that would have been yes, but maybe today the answer to that is no. Maybe something has changed. Maybe your own internal priorities have changed, but you still have the holdover of things that were just there to begin with, or things you've taken on maybe long ago. And it's important that we would ask ourselves, should those still be there? Are these still the right priorities? Do I have to have my kids signed up in all of those different sports leagues? Do I have to go to all of those nights out with these people or those people? 
Do I have to keep up with The Bachelor or The Voice or The Ninja Warriors or whoever it might happen to be? See, I can't make that judgment for you. The fact of the matter is your judgment might be different from the person who's sitting next to you. And it might be right for one of you and wrong for the other one. But it's wrong for us to not be willing to at least ask ourselves to do this life audit so that we might understand why are the things that are in my life in my life? And are there things that I really should jettison for some greater good? Because that's the other piece to this is that the audit isn't just about what has crept in. It's also about what has been kept out. There's a decent chance that there's some things that God would be calling you to do today that you've been resisting. You've been saying, no, I can't do that because I'm too busy. And maybe I'm too busy with good things, but not with better things. But unless we're willing to actually do the evaluation, to lay them out side by side and ask God, which way is it that you would have me to go? You'll never know. So my challenge to you is that you would do this sort of life audit and ask yourself for the things present in your life that are fully intended or that should be present in your life or there are changes that need to be made. I read some very clarifying advice on this very subject in a sermon. And it was by a preacher that you've probably heard of. His name is Jesus. Huh. It was in the Sermon on the Mount. And, and Jesus was a person who had done a life audit of his own. And we read in the Scriptures that again and again he's saying, I'm here to do the will of my Father. He wasn't putting anything in his life that shouldn't be there. Here's what he has to say. Here's his advice. It says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What he is saying is the competing priority should favor the eternal over the temporal exactly what that means and it's not just you if you're a parent what are you allowing your child's life to be filled up with are you guiding them toward eternal values and benefits are you letting them getting distract get distracted by pursuits that prioritize things other than the spiritual and if we're willing to do that should it be any surprise to us that down the road that they don't want to fill up their lives with eternal purposes and eternal priorities? Now, I'm not saying that it's wrong to ha- let your kids have hobbies and interests and other pursuits, but where does the balance lay when it comes to evaluating your own life? What are the priorities you're letting into your own life and also with those whose lives that you have opportunity and priority to lead as well? a really important question when there's a clash of priorities there will be great clarity for you by asking what favors the eternal over the temporal and if we're just willing to ask that question and be honest in our evaluation it just might be that the decisions aren't as difficult as we've made them one other thing to recognize when handling competing priorities is that competing priorities may offer multiple acceptable paths. By this, I don't mean that there might be a good choice and a bad choice and they're both acceptable. It's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that there might be a good path and a better path and they're both acceptable. It's not what I'm saying. But sometimes there are circumstances that come up when as you do that evaluation, you think eternal priority, you think all the rest. It's like, I'm just not sure. 
I'm just not sure which way is right. And they're both spectacular opportunities, but I'm just not sure which way to go. If it makes you feel any better, the Apostle Paul had times when he wasn't exactly sure of what path to take either. And we read about some of that in his letter that he wrote to the church in Philippi. Now, it's not that he wasn't able to discern between competing priorities. He was actually very good at that. In fact, as you read there in chapter 1, we know that Paul was in prison. And he was, of course, like all of us, he would love to be out of prison. But he recognizes that actually being in is giving him an opportunity with the gospel that he might not have had if he had been released. So it's like, I'm happy to stay here for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the kingdom. And he does. He's evaluating priorities. And he says, the eternal in this case is better than the temporal, which would be me just getting my freedom. But a few verses later, he lets us in on wrestling that's going on in his heart and his mind. And he knows that he could die in prison. He knows that he could die at the hands of his his adversaries at any time. And he writes this, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? See, he's wrestling with this. I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to be with I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Paul is torn between two great options that are both centered in eternal priorities. He doesn't know which of them he should choose, but clearly he could go either way, and either one would have been an acceptable path for him to travel. That's what I want you to hear. Either one of those would have been an acceptable path for the Apostle Paul to travel. And there are times in our lives where I believe it's the same way. We've got two competing priorities in a decision that we need to make, two options that are available, and you're not sure which way to go. Well, you can start by doing an honest assessment, and I mean an honest assessment, and asking yourself, is it possible that one of these is better than the other one? Is it possible that one of these is good and the other one is actually bad? I'm just simply flipping the switch so that I can opt and overrule what I know is the right thing to do. To do an honest evaluation. To set it out before you and figure that part out first. And if it's the answer comes back in one of those categories, then the decision's already made and you need to act. But every once in a while, it's really difficult to discern. They're both of eternal value. They both honor Christ and you're not sure which choice to make. Well, you're now in Paul's boat that we find here in this passage. So if after prayer and counsel and prayer and being in the Scriptures and maybe a little more prayer, you're still unsure, it may very well be that both doors are acceptable choices for you. That both doors are acceptable choices for you. And the real danger doesn't lie in making maybe one choice over the other and maybe that one wasn't the one I should have made. And this, The real danger is that you have these opportunities in front of you from God and you're standing back, wringing your hands, I don't know which to do, and both opportunities pass you by. We have an A-plus option versus an A-plus option and, and we're hoping that there's going to be an A-plus-plus that emerges. And so we b- miss both of those. And we end up stuck kind of where we were apart from following after the eternal purpose that God has set out before us. Handling competing priorities sometimes confounds us, but it's actually pretty rare. It's pretty rare that those priorities that we see as competing are equally valuable. 
that they're equally beneficial when we really consider them in the light of day, in the light of all of the Scriptures, in the light of, am I bringing anything to bear on this just because I want this rather than that? And so I'm making it a competing priority when really applying these principles. There's no competition here at all. It's really very plain. So I want to challenge you in that regard to do that life audit. Whatever those circumstances are that are going on in your life today where it's like, I'm not sure if I should go this way or if I should go that way, that you would apply these things and see if it isn't a little clearer than what you've been kind of making it out to be. Or when you go to give the advice to somebody else, to a, to a child, to a family member, to a friend, to a coworker, that you would apply these principles, not just the will of the person that you're talking to, but the will of the one you're praying to. And that you would take and that you would use these principles. And as we do so, I believe that we are going to come to a place where decisions aren't quite as difficult as what we've often made them out to be if we're willing to be honest with ourselves. If we're willing to sacrifice our will for some desire for the sake of God's will for His purpose. So I challenge you to go that direction. I challenge to honestly assess where you are and where you're headed and how you're going to get there. And I think as you apply these principles, you're going to find yourself right in the center of God's will and where it is that He would have you to be fulfilling the purposes to which He has called you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You that You don't leave us alone. Thank You that we don't have to just try to navigate our way down the road of life on our own, just kind of doing our own thing with distractions coming at us from different corners, with these competing priorities rising up in us, and and we're just kind of left to try to figure it out on our own. We're not because You have led us and You've guided us and You've given us example And we have every reason to be able to make wise choices in this regard. Lord, I just pray that we'd be honest people. I pray that we'd be willing to be transparent with our own hearts and what is going on inside of us so that we would not get trapped in just what is our selfish desire, but rather we'd be willing to set that aside for the sake of your eternal desire, your eternal plan for us. So Lord, where we've done that and we've ended up going down a wrong road, forgive us where we have been unwilling to move forward into some new call that you're placing on our lives because it's easier to stay where we are. Forgive us and give us the courage to step up and to step out of where we are into the place that you would have us to be. Lord, we want to walk in the fullness of all that you have in store for us. And you've given us the path. You've put us on the road. Just pray that we'd be willing to take the turns that are necessary to get there. We make our commitment to that end in Jesus' name. Amen.